it is not coming home confirmed. It is not coming home to England. It is not coming home to Brazil. Both the Euros and Copa America were played over the weekend in both countries, but it is not coming home, Arjun. Welcome back to the Going Going Gooner podcast, episode 37, by, by the way. Should quickly put that in there. We're talking, as if you couldn't tell, Euros, Copa America finals, both happened this past weekend. Saturday was the Copa America. Sunday were the Euros. They were some entertaining finals. There was a lot of storylines to go over. Obviously, the first of which, Arjun, it is not coming home. The main phrase of the English fans, it's, it's coming home, it's coming home. But in fact, it's coming to Rome. I mean, we both predicted it, Kyle. We both predicted it to come to Rome. We both predicted 2-1 final scores. It ended 1-1 in after extra time, went to a penalty shootout, and Italy won the penalty shootout 3-2. It was a wild final, honestly. I mean, Luke Shaw scored in the second minute, and I was just floored. I was not expecting England to come out that hot. Um, and then it, it, was, it, it was sort of a war of attrition for the rest of the match. You know, um, Leonardo Bonucci scored in the 67th minute to equalize for Italy and England actually looked the better side in extra time, I think, but again, not able to create that many chances. I think both of us said that it would be that we were concerned that England were creating a bunch of chances, but just not finishing them off in this match. It was, they weren't creating at all. I mean, I'll, I'll get into before before we talk about the penalty shootout. I'll get into some of Garrett Southgate's tactics that I think Southgate had a great tournament. I think tactically a yes. really 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 good tournament. That back line was so so strong all tournament. They didn't allow a goal in open play in the entire tournament, which is just fantastic to do to do. Um, so Southgate. The one change he made was that he dropped Sokka for Trippier and they went to a sort of three slash five at the back. Which, for, the, for those who do not know, was what they played against Germany uh, in the first round of the knockouts, uh, which yes. worked well in that match. But I feel like what you're going to say is that it was a horrible decision. And uh, I, don't, I think that it was one of the less egregious ones because I think with that Italy midfield that you have to control it, and having those wingbacks does make it a little easier to control that midfield, um, especially with Luke Shaw just coming out of the gates and scoring. But England had two shots on target the entire match. And the goal was scored in the second minute. So that means they had one shot on target in 118 minutes of play. That's simply unacceptable for the attacking talent that you have and how good your back line has been. You rely on that back line. And for the entire tournament, and then you go out and you be toothless for in a final in your home stadium. And Jack Grealish didn't come on until the 90th minute, I believe. That's also unacceptable for me. If you're trying to win a final and it's 1-1 and they scored in the 67th minute Italy, that is the perfect time to bring on Jack Grealish. Instead, the substitution that was made um, – was uh, Declan Rice came off for Jordan Henderson and Saka replaced Trippier. I mean, Declan Rice may have been tired. He put a shift in all tournament. But Jack Grealish didn't come on until the 99th minute. 
the 99th minute, not even at the start of extra time. Um, that's just it, Southgate had such a good tournament and Southgate gets so much criticism for, for nothing. A lot of these things that I'm doing that I'm saying are pretty nitpicky, but they add up and they added up in this match. I mean, when my issue was that England's back line has been so incredible all tournament. If you rely on them, if you trust them, that must give you some sort of, of incentive to go forward. I don't think Harry Kane had a touch in the box. He did not. He did not touch the ball in the box once until he had a penalty shot. <laughs> that was I the mean, first time I touched the ball in the box. <laughs> we haven't even gotten into the into the tactics in the penalty shootout, which I think I think before you before you mention that, let's push off on that for a second. Let's hold off on the penalties because we'll get there. There's a lot to discuss with that. Yeah. But I mean, just the formation alone, you're inviting pressure by playing a back five. That's just what happens. You're naturally going to sit back more because you have five defensive backs. You have five players playing upfield. You have five defenders and the keeper. So naturally, you're going to drop back more. And against Italy, a team that likes to have possession and likes to try and go forward a bit, that is a horrible decision. Like, you are asking for trouble against Jorginho and Verratti. Like, that's what it was. It was the, the it, it, them to do something. The Italy midfield has won them games. It, it, we've said it all tournament, Kyle. The Italy midfield is the reason that they'll win games because they they have such a strong midfield that can control games, and they have been, uh, except for against Spain, which is always the exception. But when you when you sort of know that they'll control a game, and that they'll that they'll take it to you through Jorginho, Verratti, Barella, Locatelli. I mean, sitting back and, and, and sort of inviting that pressure wasn't the right decision here. And, and it's so unfortunate for England. Southgate just simply got it wrong. He did. And can I add, by the way, the outside of Immobile, because we're not going to discuss him, because he just had a horrible match and was, was awful. The worst player on the pitch was Emerson at left back. You have Mason Mount at right wing. That makes no sense. Why wouldn't you, I understand? Don't they went to the back five? Fine, whatever. But if you know you're going up against Emerson, who is nowhere near as good as Spinazzola was, and we'll discuss him more later, obviously, put on, bring Saka, even put Grealish on the right wing, just anybody to go at him. Because Emerson, for the first, was out of position the entire match. Like, I don't think he played at left back during the match. He was just anywhere randomly. If you had an actual winger, in that spot, if you had Sterling on that side, if you had Grealish, if you had Sancho, Rashford, literally anybody but Mason Mount there, you're set. That means on the counter, it's whoever you have, Saka, against Emerson. I'm taking that match any day of the week. I'm such- I to- totally agree, Kyle. And I-, I think Mason Mount got too much hate. Um, it's just he was he was playing out of position and not in the right system. He's still a really, really good player, but... That's not the player you want going up against Emerson. We both said it, that we thought both of these sides were going to be unchanged for the final and that the matchup to watch would be Bukayo Saka against Emerson. And when Saka was dropped, I wasn't shocked, but I was like, who's going? I didn't think it would be for Trippier. I thought it would maybe have been for Grealish, for Sancho. I mean, Sancho started against Ukraine, didn't have the best performance, but if you're going to drop Saka, why go to a back three? Why go to a back five? It just, it didn't make sense to me. 
that when you when you have a when you're going up against a backup left back I don't know why you take away any sort of creativity, any sort of natural position right winger. I mean, Mason Mount is a central midfielder and he's really good at that, but he's not a good winger. He, he may be able to drift left and right when he's playing for Chelsea, but he's not naturally that position. He's not going to do that, do that well on a, on say a counterattack. I mean, it's not, it's not Mason Mount's fault that he was put into that situation, but given the circumstances, he didn't aim and, he was out of position. And, and you know who wouldn't have been out of position? Jack Grealish, Jaden Sancho, Bukayo Saki, even Marcus Rashford. I mean, any one of those four players would have been a better choice than Mason Mount. Um, and I, it, I can quickly check in here. It's they were out of he was out of position, and I saw a lot of fans saying there's no link up play. Well, you're asking Harry Kane to link it up with Mason Mount and Sterling, who, like, all fairness to them are not who I'd want to have. I don't want Harry Kane being the only person linking up play. I want somebody there that can do it. Declan Rice isn't the best, isn't an attacking midfielder. He's not great at linking up play. He's good at staying back as a CDM and doing a little bit of link up, but he's not even Mason Mount at link up play. He's just, it's just not his thing. So when you have Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips in the midfield and Sterling Kane and Mount in front of them, there's he, Kane's got to get the ball and then do his own thing and figure it out from there. At some point in the match, he was playing at CDM. Like, it just, it's unacceptable to think that squad is going to do it when you need someone to link the play up. Yes, Harry Kane can do that and he can score and do everything for this team. And we have no one else around him that can help. It, it, it was asking for trouble. And I mean, it doesn't help that Raheem Sterling looked like he was exhausted after 30 minutes which is not his fault. In fact, he played uh, a huge match before that. Like he was exhausted. So he gets a pass, but he was, he was tired at that point, bring him off. And he didn't, he stuck to his guns, kept Sterling, kept Kane on. I, again, you said it's, it's a nitpicky thing to bring these up and it is, but, and again, as you said, there's so many of these issues that it just compiled. Like, I'm not saying Southgate should be fired because he shouldn't be fired because he made no no into a penalty shootout. But he has to take a look at himself and say, what could I have done differently? And there was a lot he could have done differently that could have at least given them a shot at winning this match. And, and before we get to penalties, um, two more things. Southgate is going to make this team better before the 2022 World Cup. England... I think will be the favorites for that tournament because their team is going to be better in 2022. I mean, their, their core is super young. They don't have a lot of players that are going to, that are going to regress in the next, what is it? 14 months. I'm going to say the only ones I can think of would be maybe 16 months, maybe stones. Uh, I I mean, after, after 2020, after 2022 center back will become a problem position for them, I think, but for 2022, they're set. I think. I'll say, but even then you have, you have Maguire who's younger. You have, you can still really play Walker. After that, you can bring in Connor Cody. There's going to be a bunch of young Englishmen coming up. Uh, I mean, you have a strong midfield, a strong attack. Maybe Sterling gets worse, but oh no, you bring on Jaden Sancho and Bukayo Saka instead. Like, and I mean, Mason Greenwood didn't even play in this tournament and, and who knows, who knows the strides he'll make in the next 16 months. I mean, the, and, and Jude Bellingham will, will develop more by then too. 
I mean, England, yeah. England are going to be really, really, really good. They are so, so close. And, and I think, I think Southgate has what it takes I, because he, his tactics for most of this tournament were really, really solid. He did what he had to do in the final though. He just got it wrong. And we've been talking about England this whole time before we get to penalties. Let's just talk about Italy. I mean, the really everyone was picking them as the dark horses going into this tournament. And now we know that Italy, we should have taken them a lot more seriously. We should have put them in a top five favorites out of outside of the main five countries that we were talking about. I think Italy should, should have been talked about more. I mean, Chiellini and Bonucci are stalwarts back there. The, the midfield was so, so dominant. Spinazzola was amazing until he got hurt. Federico Chiesa is a star. This Italy team, just so, so good. They deserve all the credit for winning this tournament. And I mean, they won the tournament and they were the best team the entire time. From match day one, they were the first match played. It was them against, I believe, Turkey. And yes. they were the best team from that point on. It wasn't even a contest. They did not lose. They did not look like they were going to lose at any point in time. They lost Spinazzola, and they still looked fine, like they were going to win every match. It was just downright dominant. The entire tournament, they were the best team. England had great, had good performances against Germany, and they put up a decent one here or there. Italy was the best team by far. Anyone that said England deserved it before going into the match, no, no, no. Italy deserved it going into the match and after the match. They were the Italy, best team. And They're Italy on the day were the better team. On the day, they were the better team. They're 34 in a row. It's crazy how much Mancini has done for this side. And it, it's so unfortunate that it had to go to a penalty shootout because, I mean, it, it's Mina Kimes, um, NFL reporter, tweeted. My queen tweeted is there anything as simultaneously good and bad in sports as a penalty shootout no. i mean just it's that's just such a perfect way to say it and i mean you hate to see a final decided like that you want to see it decided in open play italy were the better side i think they probably should have won it 2-1 they had a couple chances to do so but uh, i want to talk really quick about the decision to bring on rashford and sancho and put Bukayo Saka on a penalty because those were the deciding, that was the deciding so, factor. I will. So let's firstly start with the two subs. So for those who did not watch, uh, Marcus Rashford and uh, Jaden Sancho were subbed on in the 120th minute. So the last minute of the match, they were subbed on. Rashford got one, like he had one run out and it was at right back because there was an attack because of how, it, how poorly the substitution was handled. And so he was playing right back um, against, I forget who was at left wing at the time for Italy. So he was just like not having any of it. Um, but you bring on Rashford and Sancho. Clearly it was discussed on broadcast by Ian Dark and Taylor Twelman. They were there to take the penalty and Rashford tweeted it out. And he said, I knew all I had to do was take a penalty. But if you are anybody, you cannot just go cold Turkey and then be chucked into the fire of a penalty shootout in a, one of the top competitions in the world at the final stage to be chucked in to take one hit of the ball. You cannot do that to a player. You cannot. They have I, to I think five minutes, give them, give them a couple minutes, just get them run out, let them do something. It's after, after, after deliberation, I think the management of the penalty shootout was Southgate's least egregious error in management, in my opinion, because it's such a toss up. It's such a toss-up, right? It's it. It really is. 
it's it's more skill than luck, but it's a lot more luck based than any of the rest of the game is. I mean, it's if if Rashford and Sancho make those penalties because maybe on another day they do. It's seen as a stroke of complete genius, right? So I don't think you can blame Southgate as much for that decision because on on another day maybe they make it, right? Because, I mean, you're not going to say if you bring someone on in the 60th minute to get an 85th minute winner, that's, that's a stroke of genius because you know they'll perform. If you're going on to take one kick, it could go either way. It could really go either way. And the goalkeeper is also a huge factor in it too. I mean, so for me, I think Rashford's penalty was poor. Like he, he hit it off the post, didn't hit the target. The run-up looked a little wonky. That's not how he usually runs Quick, quick note, by the way, on that run-up. He was looking the entire time at the keeper. Normally, a player will run up, look at the keeper, and then look down to make sure he hits it how he wants it. Rashford did not look at the ball once. He ran yeah. up looking at uh, Donnarumma the entire time. <laughs> he knew where so he I was mean, going to try and go and see that read the keeper. Just didn't look at the ball, and he clearly struck it poorly, which, as you said, it happens. But, it, he, I mean, he tweeted it out, and I can quickly find his statement. It what he was just like, I tried to give myself as much time as possible on the run up. I wanted to make sure that I basically got it right. And he didn't. And it's, it's tough. Cause he says during the long run up, I was saving myself a bit of time. And unfortunately the result was not what I wanted it. As you said, it happens. It's tough. Yeah. And he said, I backed myself for a penalty, but something didn't feel quite right. And he missed. And then but the, yeah. What I will, what I will criticize Southgate for, even though he's he's our boy, Bukayo Saka, I think Jack Grealish or Raheem Sterling has to be taking that penalty over Bukayo Saka. I understand that it, you that if Southgate was impressed by Saka and 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 how he played, I think everyone was. Um, most everyone was impressed by how Bukayo Saka played this tournament. The kid is 19. He's a week younger than I am. He's never taken a professional penalty. I mean, it, it, it's everyone's blaming Grealish and Sterling. That's the, yeah. that's the, that's the manager's decision. It's the manager's decision to put, to put someone at, at that fifth spot. Uh, and Sokka's not going to turn it down. You know, it, it's obviously very brave from him to go up and do that in, 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 with a weight of an entire nation on your shoulders. It's just such a tough position, but I, I still think that's another mistake Southgate made. I think it may have been, I think it is his least egregious mistake because if you sort out all the stuff in the first 120, you win the game. If it goes down to a penalty shootout, it's luck. And if I can quickly say this, if you are convinced that you say, I'm going to put Saka on and he says, I want to go take a penalty, put him on pen three. Do not put him on that fifth penalty. That fifth penalty taker has to be one of your best and one of the players that says, I can take the abuse if I miss and I'm not saying just in general abuse, the one that can say I am the one who was the fifth penalty taker and I was the last one to miss. There's gotta be one player who, you know, can do that and can take it and can deal with that fact. You should not put a, as you said, a 19 year old on that spot who has not taken a penalty from in the senior level before you cannot do that. You, and you cannot say, yeah, he'll go take it. If you're, if you're saying he's going to take it, put Rashford in that spot. 
like maybe Rashford has a better luck. He's a more professional taker. He's the one who takes him for United. He's used to taking penalties. That would make at least a little bit more sense. But you do not put an inex- quote-unquote inexperienced player who is that young on that spot. And Mbappe is the one who missed for France. And he was there because he is the best striker of the ball. In that case, the equivalent for England would have been Rashford to put him there. It's And in, in, in all penalty shootout tactics, you said Mbappe took that fifth penalty because he's the best striker of the ball. Mbappe is almost 23. He knows how to handle the pressure at this point. Jorginho takes the fifth penalties for Italy because he's one of the best penalty takers in the world. All credit to Jordan Pickford for saving that, that penalty on Jorginho, by the way. Bukayo Saka just isn't that guy. I mean, he, regardless of how Southgate may have felt about him, Bukayo Saka is not even close to a top five penalty taker on that England team. One in five. The first penalty taker and the last penalty taker is where you put your two best. Harry Kane took the first pen. That's obvious. You know, Cristiano Ronaldo usually takes the fifth pen for Portugal, I believe. Messi takes the first pen for Argentina. I mean, it's just common sense. It's just common sense managing at that point. Harry Kane takes the first one. Very nice. Good. That's what you do. That's how you do it. And then you've got... Bukayo Saka doesn't take the fifth one. It's Marcus Rashford. It's Raheem Sterling. It's Harry Maguire. Harry Maguire put in a fantastic penalty in the corner. I mean, you, you, you put... I get Southgate thought that Saka would be the best for that moment, but... Again, it's it's just so difficult on a penalty shootout. I hate talking about penalty shootouts because it's it's just so much luck. It's again, just so much luck. That's why I tried to focus on Southgate tac- Southgate's tactics in the first one twenty. Because you if you if you manage better, you win the game in the first one twenty. Yeah, and it is all luck. But if anyone were to know about missing a penalty, it should be Southgate. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's done it before himself. He understands what that pressure feels like. So he, out of anybody in this world, he should know what to not do in a penalty shootout and you don't put a young kid on that last penalty it should have been Kane and then Maguire, Saka, Sancho, Rashford as long as Rashford and Kane are 1-5 that's all that matters you should I I think I I think what the point that you made there Kyle I think Southgate saw a a lot of himself in Saka I mean um which makes sense football is also an you 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 do what you feel is right um it just didn't work and uh, um I, I was gutted i i didn't want to see the last kick come down to bukayo saka i i when he when he went up to take it i was i was surprised that he was the one taking it but i i thought he was gonna make it i mean i i, I believed in him i think every arsenal fan believed in him but after the fact I, th- I think a lot of it was coming up with trying to trying to rationalize the decision. Um, but at the end of the day, Kyle Saka is still one of the best young talents in the world. He'll be back. Rashford and Sancho are two of the best young talents in the world. They'll be back. Any sort of abuse that they're facing it's not- um, is, is unacceptable, especially if you're, if you're talking about the color of their skin. It has nothing to do with how they play on a football pitch, handling the pressure like that. All three of them are extremely brave for going up and doing that for their nation. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, again, let me, and they shouldn't be facing abuse for everything you just said. And think about it for those who don't watch this often or don't watch football often. That is a single kick of the ball, a single one. A player usually has 
dozens, if not a hundred touches in a match, a single kick that you cannot determine how well a player played based off of one kick. Mm-hmm. That's like, no one will ever judge John Terry for missing the penalty in a champions league final because he slipped. They would never judge him for missing that penalty kick. We're not going to judge realistically us. We're not going to Sancho Rashford or Saka because it's a single kick of the ball. You cannot do that. That is just not how the game works. If we judged, say we go to football, we judged a quarterback on a singular play. You can't do it. Obviously people do it all the time. You cannot do it. You got to judge them on the game, how they played. Okay. Saka came in. He played well. Rashford and Sancho came in. They played about 20 seconds of the match. They got a light jog in and then were told, you have one kick of the ball the entire match. Have fun. That you, yeah. that's, that's like, that's throwing, like, it's, you can't throw these players in, at the Wolves. That's just, it's asking for trouble. Um, and I mean, as you said, all of the abuse they've been getting is horrific. It's awful. Should not be happening. It just shouldn't be. I understand fans are angry from England. Don't blame the players for missing a penalty. That's ridiculously tough. Yes, I make them like when I'm playing with friends all the time, but I'm not standing there in front of my home crowd in the Euro 2020 final with the pressure on the line, having not touched a ball in since probably the day before in training. It's yeah, it's just not a good idea. And you cannot judge them for that. I just oh oh I I love being a fan, but sometimes I hate how fans can act. And yeah, it's, it's not great. It ain't great. And a, a penalty shootout is always a tough way to end a tournament that that was so 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 good the whole way through. Um, so again, credit to Italy. They were the better side. They were the best side of the tournament easily. They put on so many amazing performances. One in a penalty shootout against Spain in the semi to get here. Spain is not an easy team to play, and Italy adapted. England also not an easy team to play. Italy adapted. Um, but Kyle, uh, mainly my sadness is coming for the fact that the Euros is over. It was just a great month of football. Just so much fun to watch. Um, so the the Euro uh, the Euros announced their their team of the tournament. Or I'll say first the the player of the tournament was given to. Gianluigi Donnarumma, goalkeeper. Um, I I personally wouldn't give it to him. We'll see who both of us would give it to. But Donnarumma won two penalty shootouts for Italy. Um, great performances all around. Um, he's going to be a PSG player um, with Sergio Ramos ahead of him in a back line, which is scary to think about. Ashraf Hakimi, right back now. Yeah. So that that PSG team has had a great offseason. Um, putting Donnarumma back there in goal is always a good idea. Um, So he won the player of the tournament. Ronaldo won golden boot. Tiebreaker was his one assist. Patrick Schick also got five goals. So the team of the tournament, uh, this is what the Euros gave out. Donnarumma in goal. Leonardo Bonucci and Harry Maguire at center back. Spinazzola of Italy at left back. Kyle Walker at right back. In the midfield, Pedri, 18 years old of Spain. Jorginho of Italy and Pierre-Emil Hoiberg of Denmark. And up top, the front three, Raheem Sterling of England. Federico Chiesa of Italy, and Romelu Lukaku of Belgium. So that was the official team of the tournament. Uh, Kyle, you want to give your team the tournament? I do. And I want us to go position by position here, because I think there's going to be some discussion with some spots. So 
We're going to start, obviously, back line with the goalkeeper. I think this was a pretty straightforward decision. I think there was three options realistically, but one was better than the others. And that for me was Donnarumma. I honorable mention and keeper to Pickford and Sommer. Jan Sommer from uh, Switzerland, Pickford obviously from England. They both played great tournaments. Sommer had that one match where he basically played his played the lights out. Like he was the best player on the pitch that day. So shout out to Jan Sommer. Um, but I think it's straightforward with me at Donnarumma. Uh, yeah, same. Gigi Donnarumma. Um, but, I mean, Jordan Pickford didn't concede a goal from open play this entire tournament. Great performance. Um, Everton are lucky to have him, regardless of, you know, the ups and downs he may have with Everton. He, he always plays better in the lead-up to an international tournament and with England. He's a great goalkeeper, and, and yeah. um, he, he deserves to be England's number one at this point. Fully agreed. I mean, he's going to have competition from Dean Henderson, I would personally say. And Nick Pope as well. I really, I really yeah. rate Nick Pope. So they've got, he's they've gonna got have competition. they have a good solid group of goalkeepers for the future, England. They're all young, uh, which is great. Uh, we're going to now move to left back. Start with left back on the back line and get to the right back later. Um, I This was probably the more difficult position to pick because there were many options. Uh, amongst those you could have picked, would be Luke Shaw, uh, Leo Spinazzola. Uh, you have Stephen Zuber. You have Joachim Myla. You've got a lot of options. Uh, I personally went with Spinazzola. He, as we all know, got hurt, but he was the best player on that Italy team until he got hurt. He was the reason they were where they were. And that it was clear without him, Emerson was nowhere near Spinazzola and how well he played. And you could see how much they missed him. So I'm, for that reason, giving it to Spinazzola. I gave Spinazzola an honorable mention, uh, uh, as well as Luke Shaw. One name you didn't mention that I don't think I would put up to an honorable mention, um, Robin Gosens. Great tournament from him as well uh, until they got knocked out in the round of 16. But I ended up giving it to Joachim Mela. Very reasonable. Uh, I, I said it last episode, Joachim Mela is a star. He's not even a left back. He's not even a left back, and he played right that back. well. He, he's a right back, and he played – so so well one of Denmark's Denmark's best player I think this tournament and, and the fact that three left backs were probably in the top three for best players on their team Spinazzola was definitely a top three Italy player Luke Shaw was a top three England player this tournament Yoki Mela definitely top three for Denmark it's a good sign I mean good good to see teams getting their wing backs involved in play and that's that's the way the game is going with you know inverted wingers inverted fullbacks Four, five, four at the back, five at the back, whatever it may be. Yoki Mela was my pick. I very reasonable pick, um, and I mean, from reasonable to somewhat more interesting discussion, we're going to move to right back for the center backs. This one, I mean, we were discussing it beforehand off camera uh, and off recording. Was this was a more difficult position to pick than we thought because not a lot of right backs did much. Mila technically is a right back, but he played a left back. You. I mean, you've got England, Kyle Walker played it right back for them. Uh, I personally went with uh, Joshua Kimmich from Germany because he was the best player on that German team. Gosens played well, but Kimmich was, he was the only player who never let, let me down personally on that squad. So I, I'm going to give it to Kimmich. But outside of that, there weren't a crazy amount of right backs that like played like, exceptionally well. 
uh, left back was stacked. You could say Mila because he is a natural right back, but outside of him, Walker, Kimmich, I don't know who else you'd go with. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to cop out and put Spinazzola left back and Mila right back. I went with Kyle Walker. He put in some really, really good performances. He played at both center back and right back. I think his best performance was against Denmark when he played at center back. Yeah. Um, so he, uh, I gave it to Kyle Walker um, because I, I think he, he's obviously a more natural right back, but um, uh, I think Kyle Walker and Kimmich really were the only, only two options. I think Di Lorenzo had a decent tournament, but not really um, as, as influential on the game as those two players. So I gave it to Walker. It's so Kyle Walker for you, Joshua Kimmich for me. Center back is a bit more interesting. Um, I went with the same style as to what the UEFA went with, which is uh, English and Italian. I went Harry Maguire because he just, he played the best. He was the best center back of the tournament for me. Uh, and alongside him, I went with an Italian. I did not go with Bonucci. I went with Chiellini purely because of how well he played in that final that he there was multiple last ditch challenges. He ch- he threw his body at players. I mean, we obviously all saw him yank Bukayo Saka's shirt. Uh, yes. But outside of that, I mean, even that, he played well. He did what he had to do. He was dirty. He was Chiellini. He's 37 coming off of an ACL tear, which is not the easiest thing to do at that age. Yeah. I, shout out to him. I had to give it to him. But obviously, auto mention to both Kyle Walker, who played at center back, Benucci, the entire Danish back line gets a shout out from me. Uh, Simone Kjar, Vestigard, uh, they, Christensen, Christensen all played well. I also put Manuel Akanji from Switzerland there because he played dynamically. Um, there's a bunch of options, but I went Maguire, Chiellini. I went, I went with the same as UEFA, Benucci and Maguire. I had honorable mentions, Chiellini and Stones, but I do want to shout out Yannick Vestergaard. He was a brick wall against England and for most of the tournament. Um, so Benucci and Maguire are my two center backs. That's very straightforward, very reasonable. Now we move into the midfield, and this is where I think it gets a lot more interesting. Uh, there are a multitude of players you can pick from. Obviously, UEFA went with Hoiberg, Pedri, and Jorginho. Uh, I want to go one by one with you. Um, give me your first name you had in the midfield, because there, there's a lot of them, and we'll discuss all of them as we go. But give me, give me one name you had in that midfield trio. Uh, my first name was, I'll give Pierre-Emile Hoiberg. I think he had a great tournament. Um, unlucky that he's a Spurs player. Um, but, but he was, he was a rock in that midfield for Denmark and, and especially without having Ericsson alongside him, the way he was able to play, um, adapting to that was really, really good. Getting Denmark to a semifinal as well. I think Pierre-Emil Horbjerg deserves a spot in this team. I, I have him right there as well. I could not agree anymore. He, outside of being, uh, uh, playing for a horrible club team, he deserved it. I mean, he was dynamic. He was awesome. A lot of people were like, wow, who's this player? And I was like, I mean, he's great at what he does. He played well this season for Spurs. I'll give mm-hmm. him whatever credit's due. I think he played the most minutes in the Premier League. Yeah, and then he played a full summer tournament, and he's probably going to play a full Prem year next year as well. It's it's wild. It's a wild time. Uh, alongside him, again, I'm following UEFA, Pedri, just – 
I mean, I feel like you could agree with me. I mean, what what can you say about the kid? He yeah, he fully deserved it. Um, so shout out him. I feel like you're gonna say he's also in there. Yes, Pedri's also in my team. He he's so impressive. He's 18 years old. Remember, I mean, Barcelona. He's not a La Masia product actually, but um, Barcelona know how to cultivate talent. I said it last episode. Um, he may not have been with them since he was seven years old. 18 is enough time to develop a player, um, especially a player of this quality. So Pedri is a name to watch for the future. And then, so those two, I think, were the two given names in this midfield. I think they kind of had to make it. This third spot is where uh, it, it gets real. And it gets very difficult to decide who gets this last spot. Uh, obviously, UEFA one was Jorginho. Uh, and there are about seven other names I could think of off the top of my head who probably could get into this. Um, I mean, just I'm currently just purely looking at the teams uh, that played in the entire tournament. Obviously, KDB for Belgium, you got to give him an, a shout out. Thomas Delaney from Denmark. For England, you have Calvin Phillips and Declan Rice. Uh, France, Paul Pogba. He played lights out. Don't know what else to say. Uh, Italy, Verratti played pretty well uh, alongside, obviously, Jorginho, as we said. Uh, there are a few more here or there. Uh, Xhaka for Switzerland that you have to give a shout out to. Who did you end up going with for that third and final midfield spot? I think the three best midfields in this tournament were Denmark, Spain, and Italy. So I had to go with an Italian player, and I went with Marco Verratti. He, I mean, he's just so influential on a game. He, he has experience. He knows what he's doing. Um, obviously, the other mentions were Jorginho and Barella. I just think Verratti was more impressive throughout this tournament than Jorginho was. Barella was really close, though. Barella... He's a player I'll be watching. He's so much fun to watch in that midfield. Uh, scored a banger against Belgium. Um, but the three other honorable mention names I had were Paul Pogba. Pogba, if, if they made it past Switzerland, um, I, I think he, he had a real chance to win player of the tournament. He was so incredible in every match they played. Really unlucky for him that they got knocked out. And my other two names were Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips. They were... They were a great pivot in there for England and, and especially Calvin Phillips. I'd say he was closer than Rice was Phillips when he's, when he was put in the team sheet for that first match against uh, Croatia, I think people were a little skeptical of going with Phillips over Henderson, but I think it turned out to be absolutely the right decision. And I, I think Jordan Henderson shouldn't have seen this, this, this first 11, he didn't. And, and, and in England were better for it. I, I agree. Uh, and I, as you said, I tried finding a way to put Paul Pogba in this team, but, and we discussed it ahead of time. I just could not in good conscience, put him in knowing they lost in the first round of the knockouts that if they had made it even to the quarters, which would have been getting past Switzerland, I would have put him in. Cause again, as you said, he was a player at the tournament. I said it after the knockouts that if they go at any, at any distance in this tournament, he's a player of the tournament. Cause he was just electric for France that he was the only player that I would say held his own for that team that he created every chance he scored wonder goals I mean he scored near wonder he nearly scored wonder goals too he had some saved like he played he was the my personal best player in the tournament but I'm not putting him as the player of the tournament for me 
because obviously they didn't go far enough and I'm not putting him in the squad, which is why I went Calvin Phillips. I, I thought Italy had a better midfield, but I think Calvin Phillips was the third best midfielder in this tournament. He did not get enough recognition going into it. As you said, he started over Henderson. People questioned it, but he was the best midfielder in this, uh, the third best midfielder in the tournament, the best midfielder for England. I, I got to give it to him. And as you said, shout out Pogba, shout out the Italy trio. I, but I could not look past Calvin Phillips for that third slot. And I mean, it's, if we're moving up from that, uh, I've got it left to right. I had Hoiberg, Pedri, and then Calvin Phillips. So going up to that right wing, I feel like this is going to be a somewhat straightforward one. Uh, who do you have? Your right winger. Obviously, we're playing a 4-3-3. It's the general formation everyone uses when they're picking these teams. So 4-3-3. Who is that first one on the list, that right winger? Who you got? I think if Federico Chiesa started this entire tournament, he would have won player of the tournament. Um, it was unfortunate that he, he didn't start over Berardi in the first couple matches, but it's got to be Federico Chiesa. His finals performance was so direct, so confident. You could just see every time he was on the ball that he was going to do something with it. Uh, he's dynamic. Juventus have a star boy on their hands with Chiesa. He, uh, he's going to lead them to, to great heights, I think. Federico Chiesa is um, a star in the making. He's, he's a star already. Uh, he's got to get this spot. And, and again, he's not my player of the tournament, but if he played every match, he would have done enough to get player of the tournament for me. I'm going to be honest, I kind of agree. I would put him in that slot. Um, outside of him, I couldn't really think of many players that played in that right wing slot. I mean, maybe you could discuss Saka, but he didn't play enough of the tournament. I think he he was subbed off. He was subbed on. He started. He didn't, it was very funky with Saka. But, I mean, shout out. We love our star boy. We love that man. Uh, shout out to him. I'd also put uh, honorable mention purely for that last match he played to Jeremy Doku for Belgium. Cause, yes. Oh, my. That performance. He was the only player for Belgium that had any chance of doing anything against Italy. And yes, he was the player. One of us picked for the, uh, before the tournament started for that, like breakout player, he probably got close to that. Um, but he didn't have it. Chiesa was just too good. Uh, I also give a shout out to, uh, Andre Yarmolenko from Ukraine electric tournament for them. Um, there weren't many players aside of that though, that, that right wing slot, but the left wing, this was more funky. I think. Uh, there are multiple names you could pick from. Uh, I feel like we have the same name here. Um, it is a player I don't think any of us expected to be in this team at the start of the tournament. Uh, I don't think he expected to start when the tournament started. Mikael Damsgaard has to be left wing for me. He just has to be. I, I gave it to Raheem Sterling. Oh. Um, when you said When you said he didn't expect to start – I thought you were talking about the Grealish Sterling battle. And I don't think Sterling, I don't think Sterling should have started over Grealish. But again, as the tournament went on, both of us were saying that Sterling is undroppable, that, that Grealish had to be the super sub because of how well Sterling was playing. Um, I think Raheem Sterling had England won, I would have given him player of the tournament. Oh, um, oh wow. Okay. I think 
I think his his finals performance left a lot to be desired, but his performance in the knockouts were really, really, really solid for me. Um, um, I think Raheem Sterling it, it played a lot better than people give him credit for. But uh, again, Damsgaard really, really close. Damsgaard was so, so, so good. I just think that that Mela and Hoiberg had better tournaments, which is why I put them in. I don't think Damsgaard's um, quality was on a level to put him in over Sterling for me. I see. I was conflicted with Sterling. I also was conflicted because of I obviously my my love for them with Switzerland and with Stephen Zuber. The issue is that he just he didn't play the first two matches. They didn't play him. The last three he played, he was the best player for Switzerland, which is saying something. The fact that Akanji, Sommer, Jaka all had crazy performances. But I I could not look past Mikael Damsgaard because he was the – I personally thought he was the best player for that Danish side. Over Myla, over Hoiberg, which is saying a lot because they played absurd tournaments. He – the fact that he stepped into Erickson's role after after he had to get subbed on for Erickson, and we all know how what's happening with that. But after that, he was the player who was in place of Erickson, and he played a magical tournament. It's I'm we're gonna obviously discuss him more, I assume, in a little bit, at least at least minimally, but <laughs> I I could not look past him. I don't think there was a match where you could say he played poorly that when he played, that is my feeling that every match he played, he played well. I think Sterling had a couple of performances that were lackluster comparatively that even in that match against England, Damsgaard was subbed off because he was exhausted. That is the only reason he came off the pitch is because he could not run. And he scored the only free kick goal of the tournament. And it was a beautiful goal, a stunner. And the fact that he had the the balls to do that, it takes a lot. It takes a lot to the stones to go up there, take that free kick and step into the role he did. He is a player Denmark going to love to have. Um, obviously, Sampdoria have said he's not for sale, but somebody's going to come in and make an offer they cannot refuse for him. I, I guarantee it. Someone's going to chuck that post-Euro uh, 500% up uh, up mark on Damsgaard for his price. Someone's going to chuck some crazy cash at him. Uh, he, I mean, what a player, what a tournament he had. You obviously want Sterling, want Damsgaard. You can't go wrong with either in my eyes, but Damsgaard was just so good. Um, and I mean, last position on this team, striker. I don't really know what to do at this spot, to be quite honest. Because I, I I have it pretty I have it pretty decisively I, for Patrick Schick. I was gonna um, I was I was I was really surprised that Lukaku made it in over Schick. Um, number one, Patrick Schick was very very easily the best team on that the best player on that Czech Republic team. It wasn't even close. I mean, the the performances that he had, the goal scoring that he put up. I don't know how he's not in here. I don't know how he's not in the UEFA team. I, I wouldn't have given it to Lukaku. Lukaku didn't impress me all that much this tournament. I picked him to win my golden boot before the tournament started. Well, Lukaku ended up getting Lukaku ended up getting four goals on the tournament, but uh, one of them was a penalty against Italy, and he didn't do much else in that match. I think two of them were against Russia. Um, 
Patrick Schick just had a better tournament. He he took he took a Czech Republic team that no expected them getting out of that group. He took them to the quarterfinals, and uh, uh, for that he deserves a spot. Honorable mentions, obviously, Golden Boot winner Ronaldo. I, I you can't justify putting him in here again. Same thing with Pogba. Uh, if you're out in the round of 16 and uh, again, honorable mention, I think second place for this spot is Lukaku. I agree. I, I had Schick. I just didn't know what to do because I don't think anyone like thoroughly impressed me and was overly dominant. I, I wouldn't put them in the group with Lukaku, Schick and Ronaldo, but honorable mentions in my head, at least to Casper Dolberg and Alex Isak, the two of them, I think if Dolberg started every match, and if Sweden made it farther, would have had a shot at this slot. That mm-hmm. Isak was dominant up front for Sweden. Dolberg was a goal scorer for Denmark. He barely he didn't start the first couple matches. Same thing. He didn't start in the group stage at all. Yeah. And if he started he in the group stage, I think he would have won the golden boot. And then he came on and impressed us. So mm-hmm. shout out to them as well. Uh, so we got our teams. I do now want to move. Obviously, we're going to start with breakout player of the tournament. We're going to start with breakout um, before we get on to player of the tournament. Uh, there are many options, personally, for this breakout player of the tournament. Uh, I would not put Jeremy Doku up here because he didn't play a lot for Belgium. Um, so we're not going to discuss him. But there are a lot for this slot. And our, our ruling on it was they cannot be a household name. They cannot be – you cannot put in – I would even put Donnarumma. You can't put him in there because we already knew he was one of the best keepers in the world. So goodbye. You're not in this spot. I know people were saying him. No, 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 no. You can't do that. Um, I, outside of that, there basically were no rules. So give me, give me your, your grouping of who you put player of the tournament or breakout player of the tournament, my bad, and who you ended up going with. Um, so I think you're going to say Damsgaard, first of all. I said before that that I think I know that you're going to go with Damsgaard. Um, Dolberg is up there. I picked Dolberg as my breakout player pre-tournament. Um, Damsgaard, Dolberg, Doku as well. I'm trying to think of more, but I'll just say who I want. I went, I went with Pedri. Um, gotta be. I mean, you could argue he's a household name because he plays for Barcelona. Um, but, again, the kid is 18 years old. I mean, there's – he has been put onto such a huge stage now um, that the pressure is going to be on for him to play pretty much every game at Barcelona next season. Um, and he deserves to, I think, um, with, with the midfield chops that Barcelona need to get back to being a top Champions League contending side again. I think Pedri's got to be playing for them more. Um, played for them a lot last season and he'll continue to do so. But with just with the sheer level of performances that he put in and as well as Spain making it to the semifinals, which I don't think a lot of people expected, I've got to give it to Pedri. I, I have three play. I had five players on my list and I categorized them with three at the top and then two below the two honorable mentions I had were uh, Chiesa and Calvin Phillips because they played really well. Um, the three for me that I had um, for me, the third best quote unquote I didn't really have a third best I had kind of a top three tied and what I was in my head what I was gonna say is I know you're gonna pick one of the three so I'm gonna pick one of the other two 
So you pick Pedri. I can't pick Pedri now. <laughs> if I put him and two other players on the same level, one of them was Mikael Damsgaard. But the player I'm going to pick, who I, I know I said Damsgaard was the best player in Denmark, but the breakout player of the tournament for me was Joachim Myla. I was as impressed by him as anyone else could be. I think Damsgaard, where he plays, it helps like to make him play, that he plays better. But uh, Myla as a wingback doesn't get as much of the ball, quote unquote, if you were to put it that way. And he was the, he was so good. I, I could not look past him. He, I mean, he had an assist with the outside of his, he had a Travella assist from like 30 yards out. Like what? <laughs> like I, his yeah. right foot from the left side as a right footed left back with, it was, inch perfect to Dolberg for the goal. I just, I don't, I don't understand how well he played. I said it before as well. I funnily enough for the tournament, I signed him my career mode in FIFA and I was like, I'm going to watch out for this player. And then he played well. And I feel like I can take credit for that. Yes. <laughs> wow. we'll, we'll give all the credit to you, Kyle. All the it was credit all you. career mode. It is what it is. Um, but this now moves us on from breakout player of the tournament uh, with Pedri and Myla, and again, shout out to Damsgaard, shout out to Chiesa, shout out to Helen Phillips. There's a lot of players you could put here. They played really well. Uh, but now, player of the tournament. Uh, I It was given, obviously, to Donnarumma. Let's put that out there first. It was given to Gigi Donnarumma, the Italian goalkeeper. Obviously, shout out to him. Uh, you said it, and I said it. Don't think he deserved it. Um Obviously, not in a he didn't deserve even play well. No, no, no. He played well. He played amazingly, but I don't think he was the best player of the tournament. Obviously, if France made it anywhere past the first round, Pogba probably would have gotten it, but they didn't. So he can't get it. <laughs> uh, it's just how it works for us, unless he played amazingly, which he did. Can't give it to him. Uh, so who did you personally, your, your, your couple of options you have to play at the tournament and who'd you give it to? Unless someone absolutely blows me away. My criteria for a player of the tournament is the most important player on the winning team. Um, so my criteria for that would give it to Marco Verratti. I think that uh, I've said it so many times that Italian midfield is why they won this tournament the midfield is where they won this tournament. It wasn't with the Mobile for sure. And it wasn't with the wing play because Insigne wasn't amazing. He had a couple moments here and there. If Chiesa played the entire tournament, I think I would have given it to him. Um, but it was one through the midfield. I don't think Verratti played the first match of the tournament against Turkey, but the rest of his performances, extremely impressive. Um, I, I think that... Anyone, anyone on that Italian midfield could have gotten it. Um, but uh, number one, Jorginho, uh, I don't love him as a player. We know this, but I think he put in a really, really good performance for Italy. Um, and Barella is a player I'll be watching. But I think the best out of those three with the best performances was Marco Verratti. Okay. I mean, I can't disagree there. Um, for me, I looked at if the player won it, they had to be in my team of the tournament because they did the team of the tournament first and then did the player second. So I immediately, it was there down to 11 players. I can't give it to Schick. They didn't go far enough and he didn't play exceptionally well. 
Uh, couldn't give it to Kimmich. Same thing. Um, couldn't give it to Damsgaard because I think he played amazingly, but there was better performances. And then all of a sudden I had only a few names left. Uh, I took Donnarumma out because, again, even though he's a keeper, he played amazingly. I think there was better options. So I took him out. I took out Spinazzola because he got hurt and didn't play in the final. He probably, if they want, if he had played and, and they had still won, I probably would have given it to him. Uh, so then all of a sudden I've got uh, taking Chiesa out too because he didn't, he didn't play perfectly for me. You've got Hoiberg, Pedri, Calvin Phillips, Maguire, and Chiellini are my five I had left. And I said, can't wait to give it to Maguire because they lost, which might be harsh because I'm using the opposite logic for players that I also had in this group, but I couldn't give it to Maguire. He also didn't play a couple matches, so no. Then I said, I'll leave Chiellini for now. I then got rid of Pedri because he played amazingly, but I think there was better in that midfield. That's why also why I got rid of Calvin Phillips. So then I had Pierre-Emile Hoiberg or Chiellini. And I used the same logic you did, which is the best player on the best team deserved it. And the best player in Italy for me was Chiellini. I know people put Benucci in at center back. You did. But Chiellini for me is who I'd put. He was the rocket center back. He, that is all he was asked to do is just play center back and defend with your life. And he did that. There are multiple crosses put in or attempt to be put in by England in that finals that if they were put in probably would have finished off by Sterling or Kane. He blocked like seven. He defended amazingly. He didn't put a foot wrong. I mean, he yanked back Saka, but it was a tactically smart foul to do. <laughs> it sounds stupid, but it was. And he also was the captain. He was the captain of this team. He led them there, a 37 year old center back who was arguably one of the best in the world at what he does been there for years I could not say no to Chiellini that I I understand giving it to Verratti I understand Hoiberg I understand a lot of players Chiellini for me number one I again as you said shout out Pogba that he probably would have won it if France had made it farther because he was the best player but they can't win it if you don't go far so it's it was a wild Euros uh, any final thoughts on the tournament uh, of, of wonders and of uh, sadness for a lot of Arsenal players before we move on to the Copa America? I'm just sad it's over, honestly. And, and um, so I think the tournament went so differently than people thought it would. Um, obviously our, our breakout picks weren't terrible. Uh, I think I'm very happy with my predictions. I, I did have France winning it all uh, pre-tournament and before the knockouts, because I just think that team is too, too has too much quality. I did predict Portugal's fate exactly. Um, third place in their group out in the round of 16. But before we move on to Copa America, um, we've got just just a little quick stat blurbs um, from I the Euros. stats, Arjun. Fill me in. What are these I stats? I love stats. Discussing? <laughs> so uh, the Euros, most goal contributions. Cristiano Ronaldo with six, five goals and one assist. Most assists, Steven Zuber with four. Most free kick goals, Mikkel Damsgaard with one. Most through balls, Insigne and Pogba, both with nine, which is crazy. Pogba didn't even play in the last three matches. Uh, most chances created, Marco Verratti, a part of the reason why I put him in my player of the tournament slot. Most passes made in the final third, Pedri with 177. Most shots, Danny Olmo with 21. 
Most shots on target, Schick and Morata, each with nine. So let's move over to the Copa America versions of those stats. Most goal contributions, Lionel Messi. Most assists, Lionel Messi. Most free kick goals, Lionel Messi. Most through balls, Lionel Messi. Most chances created, Lionel Messi. Most passes made in final third, Lionel Messi. Most shots, Lionel Messi. And most shots on target, you guessed it, Kyle, Lionel Messi. Arjun, the man is the the man is the greatest player to ever grace a football pitch, and this win against Brazil cements it. And I will have no other arguments. Arjun, are there eight different players named Lionel Messi? Is that what I'm? I hearing? think there are. I think there are. I I don't know what else to say. I saw this on Twitter and Instagram, and I said that just can't be right. There's just no way that's possible. And it was right. <laughs> it was it. He. Did he have a the best finals match? No, he missed an open. He missed a sitter, as we know, he did. late yes. in the match. But it was his tournament. I mean, going into the finals, we discussed it. He had nine goal contributions through what was it, five or six matches? Or I think it was through four or five. I think it was five matches through that. He had nine contributions, which is a goal and a half, basically a game. And then he does that. <laughs> I. I mean. It's just ridiculous. I mean, it's it's one of the best tournament performances of all time. And, and those, he's thir- he turned 34 years old midway into the tournament. Yeah. And for those who did not uh, watch the match, like myself, uh, I had other uh, priorities I had to deal with. Uh, it ended 1-0 Argentina over Brazil in the 20th, 21st minute, I believe. Uh, Angel Di Maria gets put through by a beautiful chip through ball from Rodrigo DePaul. And he chips Ederson, the keeper, beautifully slotted home for the one nil lead. And that lead stuck throughout the entire match at the Maracana for Argentina's first trophy for Messi. And by the way, it was the second ever loss Brazil have had at the Maracana. The second ever. That's wild. That's- second. I didn't know that, Kyle. That's crazy. That's a crazy stat. That, the more you know, they lost twice in the entire history. I believe the first loss was in 56, I want to say. I forget who it was against, but I believe it was 56. So the fact that they did not lose there for 60, 70 years, and then this is the second loss they ever had there, was a 1-0 defeat to Argentina and Leo Messi. I, I mean, so I'll go on my tangent now, Kyle. Yeah, go – um, the point where Kyle sits back and relaxes and Arjun gives his goat rant because he's going to talk about how Ronaldo's best player of all time. Clearly, yes. that's where this is going. Arjun, take it away. Lionel Messi is my favorite player of all time. Uh, he's been a role model of mine for many, many, many years. Um, the feeling that I got when the referee blew the final whistle was indescribable. I mean, seeing your idol just uh, relieve years and years and years of heartbreak through one moment. And, and the fact that every Argentina player ran straight to Leo when, when, when the final whistle blew, uh, it was just, it was beautiful. And, and there is before the match, I, I think uh, Lionel Messi was the goat. Uh, I obviously have said that many times on here. I, I think, that Lionel Messi was the GOAT before he won an international trophy. After, there's no debate. There's just no debate. The only 
the only argument that anyone else had was that Messi hadn't won an international trophy. Now that argument is pivoting to, oh, the Euros is more competitive than Copa America. Messi in this tournament defeated a Colombia team and a Brazil team, both of which are not light work. Brazil's team is much stronger than Argentina's is, in my opinion, still. And, uh, and, and Argentina were able to get it done. Again, not the best final performance from Lionel Messi. But, I mean, what else can you say about the guy? He's done it all. He is the best goal scorer of all time, statistically. He is the most amazing playmaker. I mean, he is one of the most well-rounded players that the sport will ever see. And he's, he's not done. I mean, he's, he had one of the best seasons of his career with Barcelona this year and winning a Copa America. I mean, he's not finished. He's, he's coming for every single record in the book. And he's going to have them. There's not going to be a player that is more, that, that does more for the game than Lionel Messi, I think. Uh, he's just incredible. And, and, and again, there's no debate now. I mean, uh, the only thing that I will say Cristiano Ronaldo is the GOAT of is the Champions League because he turns it on another level in the Champions League. But face-to-face, player-to-player, if you think Cristiano Ronaldo is a better football player than Lionel Messi, that's sign number one that you need to go watch more football. I'll, I'll, I'll take that to my grave. That's sign number one that you need to watch more of the sport. That's, that's my opinion. And I've watched enough to know how magical both players are. But the best way to say it is that Cristiano Ronaldo is the best player on earth. Lionel Messi is the best player in the universe. I don't know how else to put it, to be quite honest with you. I don't think I can follow that one up. Um, I mean, the only thing I would say is I'm also hearing the argument, oh, Ronaldo's done it in multiple countries. Okay. And I don't, I guess. Lionel Messi has more goals against the big six than I think any Premier League player currently does. Mm -hmm. It's the argument that Ronaldo's done in more countries. Yeah, sure. But are we going to hurt loyalty? Is that what you're saying? That, Loyalty does loyalty like no, he doesn't get any points for loyalty. Ronaldo is better because he played in more countries. Messi stayed loyal to the club he's played for his entire life. That shouldn't be a penalty for him. That's dumb. It's a stupid argument. It's really stupid. And the thing with Ronaldo is that he's so marketable as a person that he could jump from club to club and 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 be successful playing for Sporting United, uh, Real Madrid, and now Juventus. Those are th- those are three of the biggest clubs in the world. And Ronaldo did that because he is marketable. But the thing is, Lionel Messi is Barcelona. He is the club. He has made the club his own. And, and that's something Ronaldo never did with any team. And, and that's not his own fault because it's not like he was going to play with sporting for his entire career. But when you play with a club from the time you're six or seven years old, and now Messi's 34, loyalty does become a factor. He's not just going to up and leave the club he loves, the club he is. He is Barcelona at this point. He the the amount of money he makes is is nothing in comparison for the to the amount of money he makes for the club. And and that's just that's just ludicrous to me that the that how 
how he has made the club his own. Barcelona are a club steeped in history. But for the last 15 years, the club has been Lionel Messi. For me, when it comes to an argument about who the greatest of all time is, you look at who the comparison is being made from. That in basketball, LeBron was the next Michael Jordan. And Kobe was the next Michael Jordan. And in American football, it's who's the next Brady going to be. In baseball, you've got who's the next this, who's the next that. In soccer, you have the Alpine Messi, who is Jared Anjakiri. The American Messi is Christian Pulisic. You don't have the American Ronaldo. That's not a thing. There's the Brazilian Ronaldo, because he's one of the best players of all time. <laughs> but that's an actual Ronaldo. There is no comparison made from Ronaldo, from CR7. It just doesn't happen. You have the other Messi's because he's the best of all time, and he's given that comparison level. He is the best of all time. Ronaldo is probably the hardest worker ever because Ronaldo, to get from where he was to where he is, had to work crazy hard. Messi is the most gifted player of all time. Not even, even close to a discussion. I mean, the things he can do with the football are just, it's a magnet to his foot. It makes no sense. Listen, now that, now that I know that this international trophy thing is over, I think I'll be able to appreciate both players' greatnesses now. Um, but it's, it's worth saying that Cristiano Ronaldo is the second best player to do it. It's, I think it's worth saying. And the fact that these two players have had such, such a great rivalry throughout their careers is so, so good for the sport. But I, I, I really do think it's worth saying that Ronaldo is the second best to ever do it. And but, I mean, but this it, is an argument. It, but but in, 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 in the sport, there's tears. Agreed. And, 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 and I think Messi has just put himself one tier above Ronaldo with this win. I think there are, as you said, tears to it. And we'll probably have this discussion at some point on a special episode of the podcast when we get certain special guests on. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, but as you said, there are tears to it. And it's Messi, Ronaldo, Pele, and that, Maradona. That top, and Maradona. You could probably even chuck in, if you really considered it, Zidane or uh, R9 Ronaldo. That that's like the six you've got outside of that. No one else. There's, they're not on that tier. And I'd probably say uh, R9, Zidane, and Maradona for me are just below it. And then you've got Pele, Ronaldo, and Messi. And you have, in that order, Pele, Ronaldo, Messi, number one. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Uh, the short of it is that football is not coming home, though, Arjun. It, it, it was played in Brazil, did not come home to Brazil. It was played in England, did not come home to England. It's... It might be an omen that it's not going to come home to Qatar, Arjun. Ooh, man, I, I, that's going to be a tough one to call. Bold. It's going to be a really tough one to call, Kyle. I, know. I don't know if Qatar have what it takes to, 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 win, to win on their home turf, but um, I do know that they're playing in the Gold Cup tonight. Yeah, they are. Somehow, in, in the CONCACAF Gold Cup, Qatar will be making an appearance. Because why not? Um, <laughs> and we will be discussing the Gold Cup throughout the Gold Cup throughout the next few episodes of the Going Going Gooner podcast. This is the quote-unquote ceremonial end of season one of the Going Going Gooner podcast. That obviously, we went through the Saints season, went through the Arsenal season. We started up back uh, in the fall of last year with the seasons. And now it is time for Arsenal. We played our first uh, preseason match today. We're not going to discuss that because we may have may not have lost. 
Um, and the Saints are starting out mini camps now. So we're getting back to the grind. Next episode for the Saints, we might have a special guest on. You'll have to wait and see. And for the next episode for Arsenal, it's going to be a whole discussion on transfers because we get rumored with someone every day. And it feels real this time. And all these rumors we get. So it'll be a whole discussion, a whole breakdown next time. Arjun, there might even be a new intro. There might be an actual pre-recorded intro that'll be a part of the new episodes. Kyle, season, season one, season one ceremonially has been a blast. I, I love talking Arsenal and Saints with you. And um, I miss talking Saints, like, about games. So that coming up in about two months is going to be a lot of fun. And I miss talking about Arsenal, just ranting. Um, but season two is going to be bigger and better and, and a lot more fun with, you know, both of our, both of the franchises going through a, a period that will be super interesting to track. So there, I don't think there's been a more interesting time to be a Saints or an Arsenal fan in the last how many years. So it's going to be so much fun to be talking about it and um, being on top of things, I guess. Yeah, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. So thank you for tuning in to episode 37 of the Going Going Gooner podcast. Again, make sure to follow us on Twitter at ggoonerpod. We post all things Arsenal and Saints and football related, both sports over there. Uh, we have ourselves some fun. Make sure to interact with us over there as well. Uh, obviously, shout out to our, our parents, Z89. Uh, Arjun, I'm excited. Season starting back up, transfers, free agents, anything and everything is happening in the world of sports for the two teams we love the most. It is game time. It is time to get ready for that. It is time for a new intro. I'm excited for it. I know you are too. Thank you all for listening. We will see you all next time.